Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, January 24, 2019. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And the biggest thing that's happened since we last recorded is Tennessee won at Vanderbilt to improve to 17-1 and overall, 6-0 and in the SEC. But it's not just that Tennessee won. Tennessee was supposed to win. No big deal. What made it interesting is how Tennessee won. The balls were down. Six points with 83 seconds remaining in regulation on Wednesday night. Then there was a flagrant foul call. Then Vandy committed four turnovers in the final 83 seconds. UT tied it late. Game goes to overtime. Grant Williams outscored Vanderbilt 10-7 in overtime. So UT wins it 88-83. And Grant Williams finishes with 43 points, eight rebounds. He was 23 of 23 from the free throw line. Just an incredible performance. So again, UT is now 17-1 overall, 6-0 in the SEC, and basketball fans everywhere spent Wednesday night screaming on Twitter that the refs gave the game to the Vols. So, Norlander, let's start there. Did the refs give the game to Tennessee? Was the flagrant one call good or bad? This was no uh, New Orleans Saints, Los Angeles Rams situation by any means, GP. I actually didn't love the call. The rule is in place for a reasonable uh, for a reasonable reason, and <laughs> in, in that uh, the hook and hold uh, is a potentially very dangerous play, and has become. I think it is actually what caused Isaac Haas to uh, to miss the rest of the NCAA tournament last season with Purdue, and really uh, torpedo Purdue's chances of making a, a Final Four run there. But you know, in short, if if two guys are going for a rebound, trying to get position, and one guy is whether intentionally or not, bringing his arm over and kind of jostling and, and, and hooking and holding with another player's elbow or arm, you can cause serious damage to a to a shoulder or an elbow. So there is a point of emphasis this season with college basketball officiating to eliminate that. But in the process of doing that, what's happening here is what we saw three, four years ago when there was a point of emphasis about contact in a greater effort to get more freedom of movement and better offense in college basketball. We don't so much talk about that anymore, the way that there was some bemoaning and bitching and lamenting about that in 2015 and 2016 because frankly and I spoke with uh, I spoke with actually a few officials about this uh, in the lead up to the to the preseason but really when, when are you ever going to have a chance to talk about that on a podcast there uh, for the most part coaches and players have adapted very well the NCAA is extremely pleased with how the sport has evolved and people may recall that there was there was skepticism over whether it would happen the way that it has. And for the most part, college basketball is a more watchable product in 2019 than it was in 2014. In the same similar case here, the hook and hold, they're being, I would say, even more ticky-tack with it than maybe is necessary. But they're doing so in an effort to eliminate this habit from guys who are meeting under the rim, trying to get a board, and potentially severely hurting each other. I thought in this case, Parrish, you have an argument to not call it, but I understand why they did call it. Bottom line, Vanderbilt had a few other chances after that call to win the game in regulation. It didn't, and then it had a bad pass or a great steal by Grant Williams. He subsequently had a three-point shot blocked, and we went to overtime. Grant Williamson goes on to continue his James Harden impression and makes another like seven free throws. But overall, Vanderbilt didn't get screwed. I would be proud if I was a Vandy fan that I was that good in a game after we just lost Darius Garland. Tennessee's coming in. you got so many Vols fans in the building, as you predicted on the previous podcast, Parrish. They come up just short. Uh, so goes the breaks. Vandy, uh, you got you to kind of take it uh, for what it is there. I don't think it was the worst call in the world. It wasn't the worst call in the world. It was funny because you're exactly right. What happened is it doesn't look like it ought to be a flagrant one. Because what we think of, in, in uh, you know, when you think of, I think a casual basketball fan, when you think of a flagrant foul, 
it's like something excessive, right? It's hitting somebody in the head. It's pushing somebody, you know, uh, you know, into, you know, in, into the front row. It's some sort of violent act. And what we saw there wasn't a violent act. I mean, Grant Williams like fell pretty hard, uh, whether, you know, that was a result of, of, you know, the, the, the contact or something else. He did hit the hardwood pretty, um, uh, pretty hard, but it didn't look like a violent act. And so I think people's instincts are to say, there's no way that can be a flagrant foul, but it is a point of emphasis. You know, they want this out of the game. And the truth is if that crew would have not labeled that a flagrant one, they would have been, I don't know if trouble is the right word, but like it, it, they would not have been handling the situation the way they've been, been instructed to handle the situation. In fact, I emailed one of our bosses at uh, CBS Sports, uh, Molly, earlier today and just told her that these emails she forwards us actually helped me in real time understand what was happening because we get, and I think they're mostly for play-by-play guys and sideline guys so that they can do, uh, you know, so they can speak intelligently about certain situations in real time as opposed to me. I don't have to talk about it until, you know, after the game on Inside College Basketball or until we're recording a podcast or wherever. But they send these videos to us. They come from officials, and it's like this is something that we are paying attention to if this happened, we're going to call it. Here is why we're going to call it. Here's 11 examples of it so that when we make this call in a game, you'll be able to explain to the viewers why we just did what we did. And we get these weekly. And one of the first ones we got this season was hook and hold. And it was like one example after another from the first week of the season. And they showed us the ones that got called flagrant ones and the ones that didn't. And they made it very clear. The ones that weren't called flagrant one, the officials screwed that up. They did not do what they're supposed to do. So I don't want to say the officials had no choice. They obviously always have a choice. But once they go to that monitor and they see what they saw, um, they're, they're supposed to do exactly what they did. It was the right call, even if it doesn't look at home like it should be. I would equate it to this. Um, let's say, I guess it could be anything, right? Uh, a, a balk in baseball. Like there's a runner on third, a pitcher doesn't come to a stop, and the umpire throws his hands up in the air and says, come on home, that's a run. If You might go, well, that's the dumbest thing in the world. They, 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 get the, they get a run because the pitcher didn't come to a stop? And it might actually be the dumbest thing in the world. But that's the rule. You have to do it or else this is what happened. Same thing here. You shouldn't have a problem with the call. If you have a problem, have a problem with the rule. Because the call was uh, handled exactly the way the rule is written. I think the rule will continue to be officiated like this into next season. I believe that a hook and hold will surface in March with be a conference tournaments or the NCAA tournaments and we'll bring up this discussion all over again. I think the rule will eventually be tweaked to try as best you can see college basketball and basketball in general can be a tough game to officiate because of the fluidity of these of of bodies jostling for position and where is the line between two guys battling and where okay the arm is there and then it's not there what's that where's that line of interpretation Uh, again they're trying to get to a cleaner game and a less dangerous game down low and they want to eliminate that kind of physicality Um, I think or at least I predict that five years from now what we saw as a flagrant one called in the Vandy Tennessee game will not be a flagrant one then I think they will leave more interpretation out there last note on this before we get to just Tennessee overall 
remember for pe- for people listening to this that get frustrated by officiating one that's just accept that that's the nature of sports and it's always going to be i think most people do but they too often get so fired up and caught up in the officiating and yeah sometimes calls are blown it's frustrating as hell but it's unavoidable in every sport no matter what sport you're talking about in the midst of college football season it's like no sport has worse refs than college football you get it with the NBA you certainly get it now with the NFL major league umpires get the worst rep for being arrogant and and frankly unaccommodating and then when we hit February and March college basketball gets the worst of it so it's all it's all a cycle but remember this all of these officials in all these leagues they are evaluated by superiors and game tape is looked at and calls that were missed or calls that were made it is essentially a point system and they to advance their own careers frankly to make more money to be involved when the sport is at its biggest moments they are trying to get assignments in conference tournaments in the NCAA tournament a select few go on to the second weekend and then only 10 maybe 11 with an alternate even make the final four and the only way that you get there is by interpreting the rule book correctly and not missing these calls so you're going to get this happening like this because the officials even if you disagree with the call the officials want their superiors to go back and look and say okay because they're very aware of what happened big national game lot of discussion okay let's let's review this you know what in our estimation you made the right call here we're not going to ding your resume so to speak from missing the call this was interpreted correctly and so it's a good mark on you this season so it's always important to keep that in mind the officials are not trying to screw your team in fact they're trying to appease their bosses and keep the integrity of the game as best they can human error is unavoidable there's never going to be a perfect game called by any player by any coach by any ref but in this case i thought there was a little too much made out of the call it's amazing to me how peop- how many people actually think this ref hates us, this ref always uh, – I mean, obviously, refs are humans, so they're going to um, have coaches that they like and don't like, just like you have people you like and don't like, and I have people I like and don't like. But ultimately, you know, they are on national basically every time they work, and their bosses are going to review – Basically, every time they blow a whistle or don't, it it runs counter to their interest and their career to ever intentionally make an incorrect call or intentionally let something go that they should not let go or intentionally call something a flagrant one that shouldn't be a flagrant one. Nobody was trying to screw Vanderbilt or keep Tennessee at the top of the rankings. Uh, You know, there were just, you know, three officials there doing their job. And again, the larger point is, Contrary to what you might have read on Facebook or Twitter or anywhere else, uh, they did their job correctly. I'm not saying that there weren't other calls in other spots that could have gone other ways. But in that moment, that one moment that got all of the attention on Wednesday night, um, that crew got it right. And I did think it was important to, to point that out. I did it on Twitter and, and to spend a little time on it here because, you know, we're, we're not shy and, and nobody is about uh, highlighting. Um, in this in this scene, they, they got it right, and so uh, shouts to them. Let me ask you about Tennessee in general. A um, little shaky past couple of games. They went through a stretch where they were beating literally everybody by double digits, and, um, you know, that, that hasn't been the case in the past two games. They were at home against Alabama, uh, had to rally when that went 71-68. Uh, then, obviously, they got taken to overtime by – a Vanderbilt team that is at this moment 0-6 in the SEC. Um, you concerned about a morale at all, or is this just like, hey, this is what happens to most basketball teams. Nobody just beats the crap out of everybody game after game after game after game. Nailed it. Not even a little concerned. 
not most basketball teams, all basketball teams, even mm-hmm. the ones that go undefeated have uh, an occasional game or two. And we obviously haven't had a team do that since 1976, but where you just don't play well. And we need to uh, we need to avoid falling into a trap and thinking that because a team looks awesome for 10 straight games and then plays two games that, by the way, it wins and wins close, and that means that there's suddenly something wrong. No, you are going to have variance in your play. No matter how hard you try not to, it is inevitable because you are going to face opponents that want to beat you. So I don't have any concern with Tennessee whatsoever. I still think it is clearly a tier above every other team in its league. I have them at number three in my power rankings. Parrish, you have them at uh at number one still in your rankings as you have for i think like it's bordering on a month right now it feels like um so I no think I, yeah i think i've actually got the count it's 30 as you know, on thursday morning they were number one in the top 25 and one for the 33rd consecutive day yeah and impressive stuff and i and i know vols fans uh have probably been lapping that up and living that up uh ever since so no i do not have concern and i thought that with what happened in the vandy game actually could prove beneficial down the road. Don't know if it will, but I think it's helpful. When you win a game like that, Admiral Schofield has his worst game of the season. Grant Williams has the best game of his career. Absurd going 23 of 23 from the foul line. He jumped from 81.5% from the free throw line to 84.4 this season in one game. Three percentage points, practically unheard of, and becomes the second player ever to make uh, 23 of 23 in a game. The first played at Oklahoma. Dude's name was Harlan. It happened in 1959, which is kind of perfect to me, frankly. Um, so Grant Williams is knocking on the door of a record. And crazily enough, like, Ja Morant did 21 for 21 over the weekend, set an OVC record for Grant Williams to do that. Like, you almost never get a player, and I mean almost never, having a dude go 20, of like, taking at least 20 foul shots in a game and making all of them, it's happened, like, seven, eight times ever in college basketball. So we've had two instances of that in less than a week. That was uh, that was kind of freaky. Sometimes sports can be really, really fun. But, no, I have, I have very little concern, and I think that Tennessee getting that kind of performance out of Grant Williams, it gives them a certain amount of confidence to – even more so how much of a leader G- GP is, how much of a, a – not to use like a, just a term that frankly doesn't fit that well, but he, like he is a go-getter. Like when they needed him to be on the floor and making the plays, he did it just about every single time. I love watching that dude play. I would put him third now in my player of the year power rankings. I'll actually have something up on this Friday, but I'd still go Zion one. I'd still go John ja Morant two. Because what he's doing overall, I think he's the most valuable player in college basketball. And then I'd have Grant Williams third. Um, last night in the broadcast, and I'm not trying to pile on anybody. Like I speak on live television um, weekly, and I'm sure sometimes I'm going to say something that I wish I could take back. But as Grant Williams has got this stretch going of like one free throw after another after another, he gets to like 19 of 19. And uh, Jimmy Dykes, who is a color analyst on the game, says – you know, you just don't see this. This has got to be the the most uh, consecutive free throws anybody's made this entire season. <laughs> and it was like, John Morant literally did it last week. <laughs> like, he just clearly just did not know. But I thought that was one of those things. It was a pretty big headline. Like, John Morant was the first player to do this. John Morant's the first player to do that. So it was just like an unfortunate deal. He was talking about it like this is unprecedented so far this season. And John Morant had done 21 at 21, like, again, just, just last week. Either way, on Grant Williams. Um, uh, last night we were in studio and John Rothstein, um, said something like, you know, when are people going to start talking about him for national player of the year? And my answer was like three weeks ago, uh, because, uh, <laughs> about, about three weeks ago, 
Seth Davis and I were in studio together, and we were asked to name our National Player of the Year at that moment. And I went with Grant Williams uh, over Zion, and I don't even know if that's right, but that is, but it's certainly reasonable. Um, he was the SEC Player of the Year last season, and he's better in every category. Field goal percentage up, three point percentage way up, free throw percentage up, rebounds per game up, assists per game up, blocks per game up, steals per game up, points per game up. He is. The reigning SEC Player of the Year, who is better in every single way you, in every traditional way we measure a basketball player, and he's doing it for the team that's ranked number one in the country. He would be, um, you know, right, right in the conversation for National Player of the Year right now, and I think have to be a, a, a first team All America right now. In fact, and this is just off the top of my head, but if we were going to do five. Uh, would it be John Morant, R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, Grant Williams, Dedrick Lawson? Like, is that what we're looking at? I would put Marcus Howard in over R.J. Barrett, but it would be close. I would actually put Marcus Howard at five, Cassius at six, and R.J. Barrett at seven. And the only reason why I put R.J. that low is because Zion is still taking a big load and taking a little bit away from him. Michigan State's been insane. We'll get to them in just a minute. Cassius Winston is having an awesome year. He's also up in a lot of statistical categories. And I still think Marcus Howard – with what he does, how he shoots it. Marquette's only got three losses. He's so much of that team. But you can make the argument for RJ as well. It'll actually be interesting to see when we get to the end of the year if he is leading Duke in scoring, if he actually, because of that, works his way in. Duke has two first-team All-Americans. We'll see. Duke and Tennessee are the only teams that will be in that conversation. I don't think Schofield can get there, but if we get some sort of weird flip in, in throughout February, GP, you see Schofield uh, you know, just having more games where he's the more important player than maybe. But, uh, but only Duke and Tennessee right now. Now are the, are the are the teams that have two legitimate guys in the conversation in that top ten realm? If you're curious, uh, up next for Tennessee, it's uh, their game in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. They've got West Virginia coming into Thompson Bowling Arena. That game's going to tip off uh, Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern. The biggest game this weekend is number nine Kansas at number eight Kentucky. Blue blood against blue blood. We're going to talk about that next, but first. I want to tell you about SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's just hard to know who to trust, which is why SeatGeek is the way to go, especially when you use promo code COLLEGEBB. That's promo code COLLEGEBB to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. What SeatGeek does is pull millions of tickets all into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. As you know, there's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek is going to get you closer to the action for a great value. It's designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever, and it really is simple. For example, my wife and I are going to Las Vegas this weekend. With this weekend. We decided to, while we're there, go to Lady Gaga's show at the Park Theater at MGM. So I went to SeatGeek. I typed in Lady Gaga, hit search, found the date of the show, and clicked it. Two clicks later, literally two clicks later, I was buying two tickets. And when I bought the tickets, I didn't have to worry about a thing because every SeatGeek purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And you can also shop via the SeatGeek app. It's the simplest, most convenient way to do it. I got the app on my phone. You should have the app on your phone. So next time you need tickets to anything, basketball game, football game, concert, Broadway show, anything, let SeatGeek help you. And don't forget to use the promo code COLLEGEBB to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's promo code COLLEGEBB for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have tickets. So the biggest game this weekend is number nine, Kansas, at number eight, Kentucky. Tip is scheduled for 6 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. We both were 
in Indianapolis on opening night. We saw these teams play. They didn't play each other, but they both played. We watched both games. On that night, we watched Kentucky lose to Duke by 34 points. On that night, we watched Kansas beat Michigan State by five points. Both teams are obviously different today. Kansas is 16-3 and overall. 5-2 and two in the Big 12. Big picture, all good stuff, but Yudoka Azabuki, as you know, is no longer a part of this team. I mean, he's on the roster, but he is unavailable because of an injury, and the, the Jayhawks have been a little shaky lately. So, like, just recently, they lost at Iowa State. Nothing, no, no, no shame there, but then they get pushed at Baylor. Um, at home, they only beat Texas by two. Then they lose at West Virginia, and then they had to come home, uh, come from behind at home earlier this week to to get by Iowa State. So they have been winning, and they're still first place in the Big 12 and, you know, top 10 in the AP poll, but they have been a little shaky. I think even Bill Self would probably acknowledge that. Meantime, Kentucky's won five straight, one at Auburn, beating Mississippi State the other night by 21, playing well these days. What do you think, Wildcats or Jayhawks on uh, Saturday? I'll take Wildcats here. I'm I'm finding little to fault Kentucky with at, at this moment because even the guys who have played, you know, more role player types for the for the team so far, you know, Nick Richards, Emmanuel Quickly, even they've looked pretty solid to this point, Paris. They get the home floor. I think that's critical. I also think it's important that Kentucky is getting more consistent play out of P.J. Washington, even Nick Richards, and – Kentucky has traditionally had this season, I say traditionally all of the, all of one season, they've had some issues up front with teams that have athleticism in and around the rim. Kansas only has Lawson, really, that, that presents that kind of problem now. So I think it's going to be an issue for KU. Now, who knows? Maybe you get Grimes and Dotson. Dotson's above 40% from three-point range at this point in the season. Grimes is... He's up and down, but he's not hes not outright terrible. Maybe they show up big and, and play well. I'm a little skeptical of that overall. But the thing that sticks out for Kansas right now, GP, with me is this. They're 6-3 and three in their last nine games, and their point differential margin, it's in the positive. I mean, you go 6-3, and three, it should be in the positive. But it's not that strong overall. It's just plus 3.2. And to contrast that with, say, like, Virginia or Duke, like their point differential on the season is north of 20. It's, it's, it, they've been completely dominant. So in a micro, a team should potentially be, at least in the teens, if not the lower 20s, if you are a true Final Four contender. Kansas just isn't there right now. Now, they've won some close ones, which is good. But overall, if you were to extract the sample size, it's not a good sign that you get so many close games because you're just going to be bound to lose some more. I will take Kentucky in this. This is the game of the weekend. They played a beauty of a game. I guess it's been... Paris, has it been two or three years since they've met at, uh, in Lawrence? Because I was at that game, went to OT. Literally the loudest building I've ever been in was that game when Kansas beat Kentucky and they went to overtime. Um, I, it would be awesome if we got something like that. I just don't think we will. If Kentucky loses, I'm not ready to, you know, <laughs> I don't think actually, Paris, I don't think I'm as ready to detract from the Wildcats as you might be. But but to be fair, to be fair, if they do lose this game at home to Kansas, you are going to make an easy argument over how much it hasn't done and why the Wildcats are going to be nowhere near your top 10. But I got Kentucky winning. What about you? I've got Kentucky winning the game as well. And, you know, you know, my issues with Kentucky aren't actually with Kentucky. It's with Kentucky's resume. And it's really not even with Kentucky's resume. My issues are like when people try to act like it's outrageous if you don't have Kentucky in your top eight. Like if they're 10th instead of 8th, you're somehow bananas. Or if they're um, 
you know, uh, behind North Carolina, then, you know, you must be in love with uh, Vince Carter or something. Like, like I, I, Kentucky's playing well. Uh, your point about P.J. Washington being more consistent, he's now scored in double digits uh, three consecutive games, and that might not sound like much. It, it probably isn't. But, you know, he'd only done it once previously in this entire season, and that was in games three, four, and five. So he is um, um, still probably not what they uh, – I guess he's not what I thought he would be in this season, but um, – and maybe not what they need him to be to maximize what they can be as a team. But he is um, – he's been good lately and been consistently good lately. But, you know, I'm not going to pick against a, a, a team that is playing well um, beating top 25 teams on the road and at home, uh, beating one earlier this week convincingly, hadn't lost at home all season. I'm not picking against them when uh, the team on the other side is, yes, very good, but has been a little shaky. Like, I, you know, we just watched Kansas lose at West Virginia. Now they're supposed to go to Rupp Arena and win. I mean, they can, clearly. It's a basketball game, whatever. But, you know, put a gun to my head, I'll, I'll take Kentucky to extend this winning streak and maybe even crack the top eight of the top 25 and one. We'll see. Okay, well, I wouldn't make any sort of promises there, Paris, that you might not be able to keep. Um, okay, what else this weekend to you stands out? Because Kansas-Kentucky, that one, for me, Paris, this weekend, I think that game greatly overshadows everything else. That's not to say it won't be a good weekend. I think it will be, and we do have some interesting matchups and at least two more that both involve ranked teams, right? Uh, yes, there are a total of three games between ranked teams this weekend, one of them is Auburn at Mississippi State. We're going to talk about that next. First, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. So Auburn is at Mississippi State on Saturday night. That game's going to tip at 8.30 Eastern. Auburn's 16th in the AP poll, but as you've noted, the Tigers are 0-4 against top 40 Kimpom teams. They're 0-4 against the four best teams that they play. Meantime, Mississippi State, 22nd in the AP poll, but the Bulldogs are 2-3 and in their past five games. This is one of those where it's not must-win for anybody. It's a January basketball game, but both these teams really do kind of need to get a win here, if only to avoid a loss, right? 
Parrish, perfectly put. Need to get a win, if only to avoid a loss, because I think taking a loss for either one of those teams, either one of these teams, would be problematic. One, because if Mississippi State loses, this game probably qualifies quadrant two, and if that happens, Mississippi State would be five and four uh, against quad two opportunities. Auburn's zero and four against quad one, five and one in quad two. This is obviously a quad one opportunity for them, and they just they still. You could make the easy argument that the five toughest. Uh, matchups Auburn has faced this season. All of them have resulted in losses. Now, no Austin Wiley for this game as well. It changes the dynamic of that team, I think, greatly without him on the floor, but it doesn't matter. If you're going to pile up so many losses, the selection committee is going to show no pity on you whatsoever. I would even argue that a loss here for Auburn, even if it's understandable, really puts the Tigers, for the moment, in the here and now, as we're getting ready to wrap up January, right in the thick of that bubble. And we're just we're not quite there. We're just about getting to bubble-type discussions. Season ends a little bit later on the calendar this year than normal. So really, we can uh, we maybe want to hold off until February before getting too deep in the weeds on who's on the bubble, who's not. But Auburn is trending the wrong way. JP, I will take... I will take the Tigers to win this one. I don't have a ton of logic behind this, but I do think we're going to have something of an interesting weekend because... Uh, again, outside of Kansas, Kentucky, there's not a lot of marquee games on Saturday. Sunday's got a good one we'll get to in just a minute. But I think we're then, as these things normally can go, you'll wind up with a few surprises. And Auburn coming off uh, some rough losses here. I think they'll pick them off, mostly because I trust Mississippi State less than I even trust Auburn. And I don't even have much reason to trust the Tigers. Uh, King Palm's got a projected score of Mississippi State 75, Auburn 74. So it's basically a coin flip situation. Auburn has lost two straight um, at home to Kentucky, then at South Carolina earlier in the week. So uh, if they take a loss here, that's a a rare three-game losing streak uh, for them. In fact, they haven't had one, obviously, this season. Did they even have one last season? No. No. They never games in a row last season. So uh, trying to avoid that. Meantime, I think you could reasonably argue it might be more important for Mississippi State, A, because it's at home, but – uh, Mississippi State, like I, I noted, has lost three of its uh, past five games. And after this, the next two games are at Alabama and at Ole Miss. So you lose at home to Auburn. You're going to be an underdog at Alabama, probably. Going to be an underdog at Ole Miss, probably. You could be looking at a stretch where um, if you don't win either of those and you lose Auburn, now we're talking about a four-game losing streak and also a stretch in which you've lost six of eight. And when you were a top 25 team, or a top 25 team right now, you don't want to be on any stretch of losing uh, four in a row, six of eight. Mississippi State really needs a win here just to, just to kind of break this thing up, you know? Uh, I agree. Now, how about Ole Miss? Because they got a game at home here against Iowa State, a huge opportunity for Kermit Davis's team. Now, they've dropped, what, two or three GP. Iowa State's got way more talent. Now, they haven't been consistent. I would say Iowa State has been among the most promising, frustrating teams this season in college basketball because you've seen so much of what it can do. It's lost some games there. I'm going to take Iowa State in this one. Lindell Wickington is due to have a really, really good game. I think he's going to have this one here, but make no mistake, you know, given uh, Terrence Davis, Delonte Schuler, and what that Ole Miss roster can do, I think that it will show well. Of all the games on Saturday that are involving ranked teams, I think that I know you just mentioned that uh, the projection on the previous game was only one point spread between Auburn and, and Mississippi State, but I think that this one has the best chance of being the closest game because of the way each of these teams play. Iowa State has made a habit, by the way, of, of playing in some close ones. Again, so I took Auburn on the road. 
and I'll take Iowa State on the road. The line isn't out yet as we record this podcast. GP, I don't have Kempom up in front of me. I will blindly guess. I'm going to blindly guess the score, let alone the spread. So I will say Pomeroy has this, I'll say 77-74 Old Miss. How wrong am I? Not very. He's got it 73-72. I, I mean, yeah, 73-72 Iowa State. Hmm. So he, so he thinks, yeah. Okay. Do you agree with me, or are you going to take Ole Miss? I'm going to take Ole Miss. And don't you ever again uh, start listing Ole Miss players without uh, saying Game of Thrones character Brian Tyree. <laughs> I, I'm, I was leaving that. I was leaving that for you. Apologies. Brian Tyree. You can watch. You can watch him uh, this Saturday against Iowa State, or on Sunday on HBO. I'll, I'll take Ole Miss at home. I'll take Mississippi. I'll take the two Mississippi schools at home. How about that? I'll be a good citizen. Of the Magnolia State. Did you know we're in the Magnolia State down here? I did. Okay. I'll be a good citizen of the Magnolia State, and I'll take uh, I'll take Mississippi State at home over Auburn, and I'll take uh, Ole Miss um, at home against Iowa State. But I will say, Iowa State almost won at Kansas earlier this week, so they're clearly capable. And um, Ole Miss is you know, one and two since it got ranked in the AP poll. Got blown out at home by LSU and then got assassinated uh, down in Tuscaloosa. So they're not, they haven't been playing well lately. Perhaps that changes on Saturday. And one last thing before we get out of here, uh, we'll turn our attention to uh, Sunday. Uh, The big one is number six, Michigan state at per two. That tip is at 1 PM Eastern. You're going to be able to watch that on CBS sports. That's uh, America's most watched network. America's most awarded network. It's the network of stars. Purdue's won four straight and seven of eight. Just one at Ohio State, which is on a five-game losing streak. By the way, uh, is this where you think Michigan State takes its first league loss? Man, I thought Paris. I thought Michigan State was going to lose at Iowa on Thursday, and it was a close game through about thirty minutes of, of game action, and then Michigan State totally pulled away. <sighs> I'm going to say yes because that's a great building, Mackey Arena. They're going to be so up for it. That will be a tremendous watch. The first Sunday without football in a good while. We're obviously in the week in between uh, conference championship games and the Super Bowl. So Michigan State at Purdue is the premier event in sports on Sunday, I would argue. And uh, quick, just a quick thing on Michigan State. You know, it got a big win. Louisville also was able to hold serve at home at NC State on Thursday night critical win for Louisville in that I think now it's got real insurance and I mentioned this in the previous podcast just shouts to the Cardinals and Chris Mack they're doing really well and that is developing into a very nice resume Michigan State though Parrish uh, the more I watch this team the the more I think that it's got a a, a real shot at I th- I feel like we mentioned on like three or four pods ago like that that the Big Ten is inevitably going to have like someone's going to come with like four losses. I don't know if, if Michigan State's going to lose four times in this league. Now play Purdue, got the Michigan game on the road. There's still a lot to go, but they are so well rounded and they don't even have their full roster yet. Josh Langford is not back. Okay, when he comes back, given how good of a defender he is, it's going to take Michigan State to another level. This team is so much fun to watch on offense and Iowa. W- Ranked as a top 10 efficiency team going into that game against Michigan State. And the Spartans just pulled away on the road. It was extremely impressive. I've got them at four in my power rankings. And I can't make a case to put them over Tennessee, really Duke or Virginia right now. But I don't think the difference is all that much. What Tom Izzo has been able to do with this group is really impressive. I already mentioned Cassius Winston earlier on this episode. So some respect to Sparty, who is looking 
different at this point in the season than normal. And I say that just in terms of how good it is on offense. Um, don't know how much of that game you got to watch. It is Parrish's birthday. I'll get to that at the end of the podcast. So uh, if you were doing other things with the family, totally understandable. But I had to give Sparty a little bit of love for what they did at Iowa. I do think they'll get picked off against Purdue. I think it'll be a good one. If they don't, though, if they win by 15, like, forget it. Maybe they're just going to run away with the league. But uh, but right now it's hard to be more impressed with them than I already am. Yeah, they outscored Iowa in the second half, 51-32. You know, they were down at the half, and then they just run away from them. Um, a 15-point win on the road against the top-20 team. There's real value there. Uh, right now, um, after everything updated at Ken Palm, they're fourth in offensive efficiency, sixth in defensive efficiency. And Jay Billis, I'll give him credit, um, has been on this for a few weeks now, that people are undervaluing Michigan State, that, you know, everybody's talking about championship contenders and the conversations are uh, centered on Duke and Virginia and Gonzaga, and Tennessee, and rightfully so, but just make sure when you're talking, you've got Michigan State in that conversation. If um, if everybody didn't agree with that, I don't know, after uh, the Spartans dropped to 5-2 and two with losses to Kansas and Louisville, uh, you probably got to agree with it now because I believe that the winning streak is at 13. They're 18-2 and two overall, 9-0 and oh in the Big Ten. And Kim Palm has them projected to be a favorite in every game going forward and has them projected to finish 18-2 and two in the league. Hold up. Even the game at Michigan? They, yes, are projected to win 68-67 at Michigan. All right. I would, I would think that that will not be the betting line. I would have to believe, unless Michigan really uh, takes a step back here, that they will be the, the betting favorite when it's, when it's time to go in that one. But we'll see. Again, if Michigan State just rolls Purdue, Purdue, which, by the way, six losses, uh, but nonetheless uh, rates as a top-10 Ken Palm team and, and really a top-20 team across all the metrics, uh, it, it, can, it can certainly pull this off. Are you going to take the home team or are you going to roll with Sparty? I'm going to roll with Michigan State, but it is important to point out, like you did, like Purdue is 13-6. and six. The record doesn't look great. But one, two, three, four, five of the six losses are the top 35 Ken Palm teams. They've got a lot of losses, but they've played uh, an incredible schedule. Um, and they really haven't, you know, outside of Notre Dame on a neutral, they really don't have a bad loss on their resume. It's Virginia Tech on a neutral. It's at Florida State. It's at Michigan. It's at Texas. And it's, it's at Michigan State. And so um, this is a team that is better than – its record suggest it's a team I actually have ranked in the top 25 and one, even if they're not in the AP top 25 poll. And the reason is because um, they, they've got a quality resume right now. Again, only that one bad loss, lots of losses, but only one uh, bad one. All that said, yeah, I'm going to take Michigan state on the road to improve to uh, 10 and 0 in the big Ten. So uh, before we get out of here, um, I, you know, I wanted just to uh, to make note, uh, it is not every year where we wind up actually podcasting on uh, GP's birthday. So happy, happy 49th to you. I hope it's been a, a very good one so far. And I know you've got a, a fun weekend uh, planned ahead. So um, 40, 42. But I will say the other night um, in Chapel Hill, we went out uh, a couple of us and uh, some, I don't even know how it happened, but somehow we ended up in a. Uh, a pretty elaborate conversation with another group of people. That's not usually how it works when I'm like out with other riders. We just sort of all stick together and, and talk about who we hate and why we hate them. Um, but somehow there was like a, a man and maybe, maybe two couples. I don't really remember. It was one of those nights. But um, so I'm talking to this lady and 
can't remember what she was trying to tell me or why she was trying to tell me it. But at some point she said, yeah, you know, you and I are about the same age. Mm. And, I was really, and I was like, oh, really? How old are you? And she said, 53. And oh. I was like, Christ. <laughs> I said, we are not about the same age. I'm a decade younger than you. But uh, clearly that didn't appear that way. Oh, that is vintage. <laughs> I was just curious as we wrap up, and I know and I'm going to let you go. Don't worry. But I am, I'm wondering – I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast, and mm. I know you, you tend to be a shrinking violet about telling stories, but I, do you have, be it in high school, college, uh, or hell, maybe recently, like a birthday that was just downright disastrous for one reason or another? Do you have one of those bad birthday stories or no? I don't remember a disastrous birthday, no. But I also don't make a big deal out of my birthday. I don't either. I agree. Um, I... It's it's I don't make a big deal about it. Like, I'll never bring it up to somebody. Obviously, with Facebook now, it you know, everybody knows if you allow them to know when your birthday is, everybody's going to know it's your birthday. And so you're going to get all these text messages and all these Facebook messages. And it's all sweet. But it also kind of I don't need people to tell me happy birthday. Like, I don't get like you remember the the Ron Bell, Josh Pastor thing. Like some of that was triggered. <laughs> yes. Birthday. Right. Um, that, that would never trigger anything in me. I don't need, um, I, 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 this is clearly where I project incorrectly on other people. I assume that other people feel the way I feel and it makes me like a not great friend. Um, like if, if, if my best friend in the world doesn't call me for a month, I don't assume that he hates me. I don't assume he's a bad friend. I don't think about it at all. I just, I'm just like, we're all busy. Like, you know, when we see each other, we'll, we'll chop it up. And, um, but like, I don't need, like, sometimes people feel like, well, I haven't talked to so-and-so in a, you know, in a few days, I need to call them because that's what friends do. And I guess that is what friends do, but I, I don't need it. I don't require it from another person. So I don't ever give that to other people. Same thing. And this is my point with Facebook, happy birthdays on a day like today, like there's like a million people, uh, friends, some people I don't know, ex-girlfriends, like happy Ooh. birthday, happy birthday, whatever. And um, and every time it makes me go, I never wish anybody happy birthday. Never. I don't text message somebody and tell them happy birthday. I don't. I mean, outside of my mom, my dad, my children, my wife. That's it. I don't jump on your Facebook page to tell you happy birthday. And I wonder if there's people out there going. You know, I wish this guy a happy birthday every year. And he's never even acknowledged my birthday. He's a terrible human. Do you think that's happening? <sighs> I don't care if it is or not. But um, it's part of the social economy. And uh, that's just the kind of stuff I don't like to, uh, you know, I, I, I don't even, I barely use Facebook anymore, period. But it's because of stuff like that. I can't, I can't keep up with the birthdays. I can't keep track <laughs> of all this stuff. But the one that you, you're, unfortunately, you're putting a damper on the one thing that I was going to say as we wrap up the podcast here. I was going <laughs> to say, but as Paris is saying, he doesn't care about his own birthday. Birthday. I was going to tell the listeners, listen, we love that you have been devoted. You've spread the word. The audience grows by the month with the podcast subscriptions. Again, we thank you so frequently because we are so appreciative of you. And for those of you that keep listening, get to near the end of the podcast. And frankly, we know what you do. Maybe there's like a minute to go and, and you just you kind of bail out. Go to the podcast page 
And if you are not already subscribing, please subscribe. But I think most of you are. Leave some reviews. I'm actually trying to get us to 1,000 reviews by the night of the national title game. That's less than 100 needed. There are way more than 100 people listening to this podcast right now that haven't left a review. Bump it up. Do it for Paris's birthday. You can say you're doing it for Paris's birthday. I don't even care. Wish him a happy 49th on there. Let's get the – Hey, hey, hey. No, it's okay. Just I'm on a roll here. Let me go. Let me go. Let me go. Just get a nice review in. Five stars. We appreciate all you've done. And I just wanted to get that plug in at the end. Just switch it up. That's my birthday gift to you. So you don't have to go through the usual spiel. I'm asking on your behalf. Just leave a nice little review. Let us know what you think. Hopefully good things. And, again – we appreciate it. You got to get out of here, though, dude. It's late. Like, go go enjoy your birthday. I don't even care if you do it alone. Dude, I have a 6 a.m. flight. Do you realize I, I walked in my house tonight at 645, and I will leave my house at 430 a.m. I will be home <laughs> less I'll be home less than 11 hours. But you're going to have a good time. And we're going to save that for the next podcast. I hope you come back with a decent story or two. I know that you will. But we'll tease that, okay? You need to get you need to get ahead of this, and hopefully you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And on that note, let's just decide this. I like when we actually uh, schedule this stuff out in real time on the podcast because I have no idea what to expect. Are we thinking like a late Sunday night pod, or are you thinking that day is going to be so jammed for you that we're actually going to squeak in the rare Monday conversation? Well, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. Um, um, I am not going to sit in a hotel room on a Sunday night in Las Vegas and talk basketball with you. So we're going to knock this thing out early. Like the only game that, with all due respect to everybody's playing, the only game that really matters is Michigan State at Purdue, and that's going to tip at 10 a.m. Las Vegas time. And so um, I figure we could knock this out uh, early afternoon, and then I can get on with my Las Vegas day. Okay, we can definitely do that. Also not opposed to you schlepping your laptop down to the sports book at the hotel. I know where you're staying. I'm not going to put it on a blaster on the podcast, but you bring it down to the sports book. You watch the game, and you literally do the podcast from there. I'm not saying you have to or that you want to, but if you want to do that, spice it up a little, I'm open to it. That's all I'm saying. I'll consider it, but I'm leaning already toward the privacy of my own uh, of my own hotel room. I don't like that. Like, I had to do, and, and we'll get out of here quickly, but there, there was one time I was in L.A. and I had to do my radio show um, you know, from a, 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 an affiliate, a, a, a studio in L.A., and they actually put me in the ESPN zone. In, like, there was a radio studio where they would do like Lakers post games and stuff right outside Staples Center. And, they were, and so when my bosses at my radio place were trying to coordinate it, they were like, well, we'll just let him do it from the ESPN zone. That studio, that studio will be free. And so it's like a Thursday afternoon in L.A., and I'm in the middle of a restaurant, like glassed in, doing a radio show, and you can see all these people trying to figure out who I am. They have no idea who I am. Like, why would they, right? I mean, I was like doing a Memphis radio show from ESPN Zone uh, right outside Staples Center, and these people are like taking pictures, and they're like, you could see them like, is that Jim Rome? Of course, it's not Jim Rome. No. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to figure out who it is. I, 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 when I would walk out of the studio and they would like introduce themselves, I felt like I was just disappointing them. Like, I am actually nobody that you care about. I, the, point, the point being, I don't like to have people like looking at me. And if I were sitting in a sports book with headphones and a mic on, people would be looking at me, and I ain't, I'd rather just uh, avoid all that. So I'll probably be in my hotel room, but but I'll rethink it, and if I uh, decide otherwise, I'll let you know. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts, 
You do that. You'll get the next episode ASAP. It's going to come to you on Sunday. Till then, take care.